Today on the show, we welcome Michael Warren Thomas to the program. He's the host of the Saver Life radio series, which can be heard now on saverlife.com. Michael, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Appreciate being here and uh, catching up with you again. It's been a while. It's actually been, I think, close to like two years since you've been on the program. Um, and obviously, a whole lot has changed. Uh, I, I guess I, I want to ask you first and foremost, um, living through the pandemic like we all are, uh, obviously in our line of work, in the broadcast line of work, um, we've had to take some unusual steps. But at the same time, seems like our space has been a little more uh, nimble to the changes that have been required. Yeah, we can we can operate, uh, we can broadcast, uh, and and really, it's we're essential form of information for people out there in the community. Um, I wore a, a mask to start the show just as a reminder that people need to wear masks when they're out in public. It's not a political statement. If you want our economy to continue reopening, it's very simple. We wear masks for now, and we can continue reopening. We won't go the direction of these, the other states, which are, um, many other states are in serious trouble. They're not recognizing that masks can make the difference, and, and social distancing. Those are, that's not too much to ask to get the economy reopened and going. We can't afford another shutdown. Absolutely not. And like you said, it's it's not political. It's just no. a, a fact of life. I'm curious, uh, in the space you're in, obviously the tourism heavy, especially for the Finger Lakes region, Western New York, um, what has that been like in terms of what you've seen and how that has sort of evolved over the last three to four months? Um, you know, I, my impression from talking to sponsors, to listeners, to the general public that I might run into or uh, emails that I get is that the businesses understand the reasons to shut down, the reasons to use social distancing, to have the precaution of ev everyone wearing a mask that goes in a business. Um, and I, I think many of them are frustrated that the general public is not willing, in some cases, to wear masks. Uh, we don't actually need 100% of people to wear masks. We need something like 80, 85, or 90%. So the occasional person who doesn't isn't going to cause uh, infection rate to spike. But there's also social pressure. If more people are wearing masks, other people are likely to do it more often. And so the, the tourism businesses that right now are, are excited about reopening, um, they've got, you know, that's, this is what they do. You know, this is the reason they got in the business. They like hospitality. They like welcoming people from around the country, around the world, showing off what we have in the Finger Lakes. Uh, just like restaurants, they, they love hospitality, and they haven't been able to do it for a couple of months or not very much of it. So there's a lot of excitement, but also um, customers and staff and businesses, everyone gets frustrated at times that things aren't the way they used to be, that they can't do this, they can't do that. And so we need to have uh, patience, empathy. We need to, you know, take a step back if you're feeling upset and just, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. You don't know what's going on in their lives. Um, and this is a huge transition for everyone. Yeah, and I think, you know, having had a lot of these conversations, it comes back to this. Like, if everybody wears a mask now, you won't have to a year from now. 
and you know life will be able to go on if everybody takes it seriously up front um you have a number of weekend programs the saver life series uh, has been on wysl for a bunch of years now you've gone completely digital you are on your own platform um, talk to us a little bit about that process before we get into, I want to talk about sort of the nuts and bolts of each individual show. Uh, well, I, I started out with a gardening show 26 years ago and uh, couldn't keep those sponsors during the winter because they were shut down. Okay. And so I had to leave the station. It was a Rochester station I was on initially. And, and then I couldn't get my time slot back. You know, they'd fill it and mm-hmm. I'd have to go back to 7 a.m., and, and I'm not a 7 a.m. person. I don't sound coherent at 7 a.m. Uh, I'm not a happy person at 7 a.m. So, but eventually other shows would drop and I'd move back up to 9 a.m., which was reasonable um, and seemed logical for a gardening show. Uh, but then I heard a food show in Boston and uh, Pat Whitley, I think it was still doing it. He must be 95. Uh, and I thought, you know, I could do that here in Rochester in the Finger Lakes. Um, I don't know how to cook, but I knew a lot of chefs. And so that started this idea of a group of shows um, which is more, I had an antique show for a time. I had a Toronto, Ontario wine region show in, in the mix. Um, but right now it's, it's gardening, food, Finger Lakes and wine. Uh, and I, I wanted enough hours so that it would be you know, more than just one hour, I guess, mm-hmm. on Sundays. So I did two hours of wine on Sundays previously. Um, and now that I'm on my own, on my own, literally, uh, on the website, um, the length of the shows will vary probably a lot more. Mm-hmm. Creatively, does that give you a little more leeway to sort of take things different directions if you so choose? Um, I guess so, maybe in terms of length of, of interviews or things like that. But um, no, the station, I had plenty of leeway to, in fact, some, some listener uh, posted on their webs or their Facebook that I was ranting about the environment and I'll own that totally because we right now we're seeing the, the effects of not believing in science uh, happen quickly with a pandemic but those same things are, are same ramifications hold for environmental science and that's going to play out over decades instead of months so uh, um, yeah it's but I, I could generally say what I wanted to on the radio, I didn't leave because I couldn't say what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I, I left the station because I didn't believe in what they were posting uh, on Facebook. And, and and I have been worried for a while about the kinds of political ads that might air before, after, maybe even in between my shows with the divisiveness of, of the upcoming election. Mm-hmm. And, and to that end, obviously, um, there's been plenty said on Facebook. You've had to release a couple statements yourself about um, that decision to pull the show, your shows from WYSL. Um, walk us through what that sort of thought process was for you and then how you approached it so that you were able to, on the other side of it, be able to refocus yourself again on the content that you're creating on a weekly basis. Uh, well, it, it partly started by uh, uh, an email from the station to a number of the, <clears throat> the hosts on the station um, about... Um, some events that were coming up and I, I I questioned that and said I was also worried about that caused me to uh, look at their Facebook page which I hadn't done before at all I didn't even know they had one and I think it was kind of a new strategy 
um, to start posting on Facebook and they hired someone to do it for them. And uh, I found the posts very upsetting. It was more like a repeater for right-wing conspiracy theories, which I really didn't want to be associated with. And so I gave the station eight weeks notice, said, um, uh, and I was on a month-to-month -month contract, so I was giving them uh, extra time so they could transition uh, and said that, uh, but I'd be willing to leave earlier, um, especially if you don't change what you're posting to Facebook. And they said, fine, you can leave now. So I didn't get a final show, um, which ironically also happened to me at the Rochester station, except that was just, uh, they were just mad I was leaving the station. So they, they canceled the show I'd paid for <clears throat> and then wouldn't refund me the money. That was 20, uh, 19 years ago. So this probably happens a lot in radio because executives worry about what uh, hosts or people might say in their final show, uh, I guess. So, so that, that was fine. I, I wanted to be away from the station. I was worried about what they would be posting in the future. Great. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, Chris Clemens from up, uh, exploringupstate.com and uh, uh, also does a lot on Instagram, a few months ago had offered to redo my website, which was vintage to say the least, but <laughs> effective, but vintage. And so uh, luckily we had that up and running and um, that makes it easier to, to, uh, for me to post my shows and uh, operate on, on the web. And now that you're on the other side of this and you're, you're on your own platform, you have that control again, you're, you're being able to sort of focus on what you want to focus on. Um, in terms of how you want to shape the shows moving forward, whether it be duration, length, whatever the case may be. Um, let's get into the shows themselves and what they are and how they work. Um, you've got four, Naturally Green, For the Love of Food, Discover the Finger Lakes, and The Grapevine. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. Um, Naturally Green is the gardening show, correct? Okay. So let's start there. That, is that the oldest is that the oldest show, and what does the average listener uh, get out of that program on a week-to-week -week basis? Yeah, that was what I started with. Um, I was inspired by Doc and Katie Abraham, who were on Rochester Radio for 52 years. Um, I only made it halfway there at 26 years. But, um, yeah, the gardening show is something I have the most expertise in. Uh, former certified arborist, former certified nurseryman, had a landscape business for 20 years doing design, uh, and, and also was a, a pioneer in Rochester in reducing the use of pesticides hence the name Naturally Green, um, using things like beneficial nematodes and integrated pest management and quite a few different strategies. The best strategy is really to get rid of your lawn and plant perennials and annuals and you know have something lower maintenance in a lawn. Uh, but for the, for the show, talk a little bit about, well, actually, up until the rainstorms recently, I was talking a lot about pleading with people to water. People don't realize how dry things were. Uh, and so I, I do some pleading for watering. I do some pleading to wear masks and, uh, you know, and, and socially distance. But most of it's about uh, interviews with local garden experts, uh, talking about things like uh, lightning bugs and... Uh, some of the invasive species, giant hogweed, which you should look up and know because it is around and it is, it is far more dangerous than poison ivy, which is everywhere. Um, so I talk about those things. Uh, hydrilla, which is an invasive species in our lakes, which is they're trying to control 
moderate success. Uh, the Green Knight Ash Borer, the, uh, um, there's always this, this battle between the insects and the people in a sense, and it, it gives me endless things to talk about. Pennsylvania, and, or maybe it's further south, more North Carolina and Virginia is going to have a 17-year hatch of cicadas. They're going to have, so only every 17 years this brood hatches. So it lives for 17 years in the ground and hatches. They're going to have one and a half million cicadas per acre emerging. That, that just, I don't, that fascinates me. And I'm really glad I don't live there. <laughs> because three or four cicadas are, are uh, plenty of noise for me. So th those kinds of things, um, and people can email me questions, email me photos. I get, actually, I get emails from around the country of poison ivy lookalikes because my poison ivy page did well in Google. So yeah. um, it's, it's, it's been a fun show to do, but I, I like you know, the, the food show that follows that is, as well as the, the wine show and the finger licks, they all work together. I mean, if you want to grow your own food, you're going to be gardening. And you should grow some of your own food, maybe just some cherry tomatoes. Um, talking with local farmers, encouraging community-supported agriculture, all those things. Um, so the, the shows could be just one show, but uh, I've separated them, I guess, over these years. Mm -hmm. and, and to that end, uh, on the gardening side, it, it's interesting because the more people I talk to sort of on the day-to-day, -day, it seems that gardening is a far larger hobby uh, amongst the population than I ever realized before. And I guess your show is a, is a testament to that fact. Um, but is ever amaze you the, the, the degree to which all of these different, different things, like you said, do interconnect in how, when you're talking about, you know, gardening and some of the things you probably talked about on naturally green probably overlaps quite a bit with the grapevine from time to time, or like you said, food in the finger lakes. Um, so when you're going through that process, how do you parse out who you're having where or what you're talking about where, given the fact that all of the shows are sort of airing at different times or have historically aired at different times? Yeah, well, they, you know, they end up blending a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and so on the, on the, if I don't talk about strawberries on the gardening show, I'll uh, maybe talk about them on the food show. And uh, one of the things that, gets people to appreciate food more as trying to grow it themselves because then they realize that the robins and the squirrels all come and eat your strawberries that uh, they love blueberries that there's um, leaf miners that get into your swiss chard and the rabbits get into your kale and your swiss chard and your lettuce and they eat everything and and then the pests and then maybe some hail and then it's too dry so i think when people start to garden more, they appreciate where their food comes from more. And, and also, hopefully, start noticing the environment more, noticing nature, connecting a little more with nature, appreciating butterfly that lands on the flower or the caterpillar that they were mad about eating their parsley until they realize it turns into a, a black swallowtail. Then it's like, well, yeah, have the parsley. Great. You know, it's, you don't have a thousand of them. Mm -hmm. um, thousand of those caterpillars, although they do have uh, a big gypsy moth outbreak in, in Ontario County right now, defoliating uh, entire forests. Um, that's, that's kind of... So th some of this getting to know nature can be scary, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, if you grow your own food, 
it's inevitable that you'll be more connected with when it rains and nature and, and also appreciate how hard the farmers work to bring us food. Well, and, you know, every year now, it seems we're talking about different sort of climate geared stories, whether it be, you know, extended period of, of no rainfall or, you know, a very rainy spring like we had last year. And it does seem to vary year to year. Um, but uh, does your show in some way provide a little bit of a back, sort of like the background in a lot of these headlines that we see from time to time about these different climate-related or weather-related issues, especially on the gardening front when you're talking to all these people who are probably living a lot of the problems generated by the, the climate and the weather issues every single day. And in some ways, actually, up until the shutdown, I think it was almost the opposite, that people were working in offices and, and they just weren't connected to what was happening outside. And so they'd see a thunderstorm in the forecast and they would go home and, and maybe the ground was a little wet or something. They're like, yeah, we're good. It rained. And the, the truth was the thunderstorm missed them and they got a quick shower and the plants are just as thirsty as they were before. So uh, I think a lot of people are disconnected from nature because of their work. Um, you know, and if you work until five, six o'clock, maybe seven or eight, you're going home when it's dark. You know, that makes you less connected to nature, too. So um, so I hope my shows, all of them, uh, I mean, and, and Discover the Finger Lakes, we talk about all the waterfalls, the natural beauty of the Finger Lakes. I hope all of them connect people with nature and that we um, we value it more. If we value it more. We make different decisions about what we're doing in terms of energy or or pollution, uh, those things. For the love of food, um, I want to talk about that because there's, over the last decade or so, been a real shift in terms of economy. Um, and a lot of local economies are almost being built around food scenes now. Um, of course, we see that in places like Rochester. Um, but now even, you know, a city like Geneva has experienced something of a boom that, you know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago wouldn't have really been something that many folks thought was on the horizon. Um, living through that, watching that change, especially with as long as you've been on the radio, seeing these communities grow up in this, uh, in this way, what has that been like? Uh it's, it feels fast, but it's been kind of slow, too, I guess. Uh, it's exciting to see the small businesses prosper. And, you know, this really, I think one of the first businesses to, to launch this in Geneva was Normal Bread, which has not been open for quite a few years, but was, was a, a huge part of the start of this, of, of helping to convince other businesses. Red Dove Tavern also and, and now microclimate, uh, they've been around for quite a while now, but that helped to launch Linden Street, uh, really, and Left Bank as an event center, and then FLX Table coming, and uh, all these pieces uh, you, uh, are individual businesses making decisions. It's, you know, as much as economic development is helpful and a good thing, often it's these individual decisions that um, you have confidence in the Red Dove Tavern is going to be there. They're going to be an anchor that you want to be near them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you open a business that complements them, maybe. I mean, Microclimate didn't compete with Red Dog Tavern. Uh, and so you, you, momentum builds until you get to a point of critical mass, and then, and then things just start moving faster into that center. And, and Geneva, uh, you know, in some ways, it's, it's the politicians getting out of the way um, and you know, allowing them to shut down Linden Street for a couple nights a week so that it can be a, a different scene. Uh, I mean, I, the politicians play a key role, obviously, and economic, de- economic development does, but I, I really love the fact that so much of this is being driven by small businesses. And the shutdown period then has a ripple effect because if the restaurants aren't open, the farmers don't have anyone to sell to. And so that, you know, that, that hurts the, the, the wider economy of the region. And so it's important as we're coming out of the shutdown to go in search of the farmers' markets, the farmers um, go in search of, you know, if you don't feel comfortable in a restaurant at this point, get takeout, um, get a few extra dishes so you can freeze some. But... Uh, you know, the, uh, most of the farmers' markets are outdoors. That's very helpful. Wear a mask. Uh, the farm markets, you know, uh, we we need to uh, step up and 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 support this local food system um, so that it's around in the long run and and, uh, and continues to prosper. There are other small communities like Geneva. Perry is one. Just a fascinating small town with. Yeah, New York State Puppet Festival and Shake on the Lake, and now they have a brewery and a creamery, and this is a very small town. Again, small businesses working off of each other in collaboration with each other, and, and that's really happening in, in some ways all over the Finger Lakes region. It's, it truly is an exciting time. We just got to get through this pandemic by wearing masks and, again, so that we can stay on a on a reopening trajectory and not and not go backwards. And it's interesting you you mentioned Perry and and how this is sort of being duplicated in different communities because we heard earlier this year, uh, Canadago was Canadago was essentially considering the same thing to sort of using Linden Street as a model and work toward creating this walkable center space. Um, and it's interesting, all the things that you're talking about, the walkability seems to be the other key piece. Um, is that something that you're seeing uh, be more in, engaged with throughout a lot of these communities where you're talking to different folks from these different, whether it be the gardening space or, or the food space or the wine space, desiring these communities that are more um, reachable by foot as opposed to having to get in the car and go, 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 go? Um. Yes, I guess to some degree. Ironically, in a previous lifetime, uh, 35 years ago, something like that, I worked at the Center for Government Research in Rochester in one of the first studies that I did with them. It's a, still around, still doing great. Uh, sort of an, founded by George Eastman as a nonprofit watchdog of government. Uh, and one of the first studies I did was on downtown redevelopment, which included Ithaca, Denver, Colorado, um, I don't know, a few others, that had created these walkable areas. Um, 
in the case of Ithaca, you know, they they tore down some buildings to do it. And uh, my own community where I grew up, Rome, New York, tore down a bunch of old buildings to do economic development and, and new buildings, which are now been tore down, some of them, and, and many of them are vacant. Um, so it, there's, there's uh, a need to appreciate the architecture that we have and the infrastructure that we have. And so th this example of Linden Street doesn't involve taking buildings down and doing things like that. It's putting lights over the street and shutting it off for uh, hours at a time on the weekend. Uh, and you know, in the case of Perry, they have a farmer's market right downtown uh, in a parking lot that's on the downtown, and they have a chalk art festival in the summer there that's really amazing. Um, but again, they're not, they're, they're using their existing infrastructure, they're not just tearing stuff down to make things more walkable. Um, I think the, the walkability that strikes me are the, the paths, uh, the trails that are starting to link our community. And so I, they've been doing construction various points along the Erie Canal Trail to create this statewide trail, which is fantastic. There's the Finger Lakes Trail that goes south of the Finger Lakes, but also comes up into the Finger Lakes. The, and Perry is actually connected to that. They've been doing work on their their part of the trail. Um, so, you know, the, I don't see the, the walkability as much in terms of, of construction downtown and, and cities and, and things as much as trying to use these trails to connect us by bicycle, by walking, by canoe, by you know, all sorts of forms that are often not cars. Mm -hmm. um, and, and by the way, I, I do want to mention the Solar Village in Geneva is like one of the coolest things that I've yeah. seen. And in terms of walkability, you can walk up through the tunnel to the water, yeah. you can walk to downtown. It's essentially off the grid. And you know, this is one of the leading examples in the United States. We, we sort of take it for granted here, but this is a super cool project in, in Geneva. So that's also adding, I guess, in, you know, and focused on walkability because of where they chose to site it. They could have sited it outside of town, um, but they, they, they found this spot right in downtown Geneva. When it comes to Discover the Finger Lakes, um, I'm sure to some degree all of your shows are a discovery because you're having conversations with people from different walks of life and, and such. Um, but when you think back to, say, the last five years or so, what are a couple of the things that really stand out to you um, that you personally discovered through your various shows, not just Discover the Finger Lakes, but all of them, um, that have stuck with you over the years? Well, I would say, first of all, is that the, I hope people run for office in the small towns and villages around the Finger Lakes. Um, and, you know, this is not a Democrat, Republican, whatever. It's not a political statement. It's the idea that small towns and villages the votes that they take have implications for the entire county. And, and, and Finger Lakes One has been uh, at the forefront of being at these town meetings and filming them, making them available so people can see them. Uh, and a sort of awareness is important. And it's not a political statement. It's let's show people what's happening. If they want to get involved, great. If they want to run for office, great. Um, but. Too, for too long, the, the decisions that smaller towns, and, and Barrington is one example over on Cuca Lake, uh, 
um, which had it's all kinds of, of issues. Uh, Reading, you know, with their non-vote on gas storage, uh, we've got, of course, Seneca Falls and Waterloo with the, with the landfill, which, uh, again, these are relatively small villages, and I think for a long time, and maybe it's just me, but you know, I didn't pay attention to what was happening in these villages, and, and the votes that they've taken have uh, Romulus with the trash incinerator that was proposed. Um, th that, over the last five, six years, has really struck me about our region. And, and, uh, and I know a number of people, not because of me, and, and just maybe spending time in the community, I, I know a number of people who have run for office who probably never considered it before, um, in both parties. Um, and, and I think that's a great thing. We need, to people, we need people to get involved in voting this November at all levels of government. Um, and you know that has huge implications for the future of our entire region. Because what happens, I mean, it's, 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 people say this, but we don't see it in action until you run into these situations in, you know, with landfills and trash incinerators and gas storage, et cetera. Um, small places count tremendously. We need to pay attention to them. We need to, uh, we need to help them. You know, a lot of this is is because people want jobs. That's understandable. Um, we need to to figure out ways to grow ourselves as a region and not, um, you know, and, and think about it that way. I guess so. That that wasn't the answer you were looking for. I think, but. Uh, that's what has struck me more than anything in the last five, six years is that uh, small towns are crucial for the future of the region. And, uh, and they're also fascinating places. You know, go off the beaten track and, and drive through, you know, don't take the throughway, which I did today because I was running late. Um, go through Clifton Springs and Phelps. Yeah. Great little villages. Stop and get ice cream. Um, visit an antique shop. Uh, they're all all of these cool places that we tend to miss because we're in a hurry and uh, we take the, the fastest route or the route we always take. Mm -hmm. um, and if people start going off into these small towns around the region, uh, there was one I drove by a uh, sign for Eagle Bay. Like, I've lived in the Finger Lakes in Rochester for 30 years, more than that. I'd never heard of Eagle Bay. Uh, and it's, it's over by Medina. Maybe not Finger Lakes, but close to it. So I'm still discover. I'm, I'm actually I'm looking for these things, and have been for decades, and I'm still finding cool new places. Which is, I love hearing about those from my my listeners. I had one of my listeners email me about Mill Creek Cafe in Honeyway, mm -hmm. which is not Honeyway Falls, it's Honeyway, and then uh, Sandy Bottom Park that's right nearby, which is fairly close. So I've never heard of either. I'll, I'll go visit them this summer. Uh, there's, th there's so much here, and with people maybe not wanting to travel to other states right now because of the infection rates in other states, might not be a good time to travel to Florida or Arizona or Texas. Um, let's discover what we have right here because there's some 
fascinating places. I am so glad you brought that up because that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Given all of the restrictions that we have on travel outside of New York State, and this is obviously the last time Chris Clemens was on of Exploring Upstate uh, was on this show, we talked about this fact that there is there are so many places to go experience, not just sort of on like the day trip side, but if you want to spend three, four, five, six, seven days, there are places that you can go that are literally within like probably a, an hour to two ride and it's a different world. Is is there enough of that right now? Because it seems like there is, and this is one of my, one of I, I'll call it a tick of mine um, about Rochester is that a lot of folks who live in Rochester, they, they lay claim to being part of the Finger Lakes, um, but unfortunately, very rarely do they get out away from Rochester and actually experience the Finger Lakes. And when I say the Finger Lakes, I mean the box that basically is in between Rochester, Syracuse, and where the southern tier begins, the core Finger Lakes. Your shows are tapping into this all the time. Is there any level of, of just... Um, desire to, to get more people that message to let them know that like there are all these things you can go do go do them don't 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 just stay home this weekend because you can't take your trip to you know Myrtle Beach like you wanted to go to you know the edge of the southern tier go into the southern tier go into the Finger Lakes go into some of these more recessed places um, and experience all the things that they have yeah and you know, in a normal year, you couldn't get a room at the inn at Glenora. Um, they're booked usually uh, pretty much like a month ago through October, and uh, you couldn't get in. But because the shutdown just and the reopening has started, they have rooms. Uh, they're being super careful and cleaning, and uh, you know, the bed and breakfasts also uh, tend to have rooms. So there are. There's more availability than there has been in most summers in terms of going out. And my impression is that the, whether it's hotels or Geneva on the Lake or, or bed and breakfast, they are, they are being super careful um, and, and are asking you to wear a mask, you know, do those, those, so that social distancing. So I think we have more options than in the past for finding a place to stay. The state parks... Um, you know, are beautiful Stony Brook and Fairhaven and there's Sampson, there's there's so many state parks, Watkins Glen, Letchworth. Um, you know, and if if you wanna if you go on a weekend it's gonna be more crowded. So see availability during the week and, and try to you know, go at a time that's not as, as busy. Um, but the um, the idea of you know, I live in Rochester and have lived there for, for a long time. And initially would talk about, I'm going to drive to the Finger Lakes um, when actually we are in the Finger Lakes, but we're also connected to Lake Ontario and the Finger Lakes tourism region. And actually, Chris Clemens has a funny blog post on, on his uh, exploringupstate.com about what is upstate. There are so many definitions of upstate. And, and the same with the Finger Lakes, actually. Economically, we are divided in half with the southern tier, which is unfortunate. Um, but I, I think as the, the region grows and we get a few more bright spotlights. So, um, you know, 
Christopher Bates being a master sommelier opening FLX table, that's a bright spotlight that you know, gets people thinking. Uh, this, uh, this new uh, lake house hotel in, in Canandaigua, uh, talking about bringing uh, uh, seaplane rides, people up from the Hudson River to stay on, on Canandaigua Lake, which you know, during one part of the shutdown was probably not a great idea since the infection rate in New York City was so high, but again, New York State is generally low and um, we just got to keep it that way. But again, that's, they were, they were uh, written up by Forbes or Bloomberg. The, the lake house in Canandaigua is one of the top 18 hotels opening in 2020 in the world. Vogue. Was it Vogue? It was there you Vogue. go. Thank you. Yeah. How can that be? One of the top 18 in the world, and you go read about those other 17, they're, they're, they're kind of cool places. And we, we don't see them that way necessarily. I mean, I was surprised. I, I didn't realize we'd have one of the top 18 in the world. Um, and it wasn't written by someone from Canandaigua. I mean, it was it's a legit article with yeah. fascinating uh, 17 other places. So those kinds of things shine a spotlight that brings people from around the world, but also maybe makes people in Rochester or Syracuse take the Finger Lakes more seriously. And like, we got to prioritize going there. It's not just because I don't have anything to do. It's because I, I, I got to go see what's happening there. Is it ironic that I think the, the I've been in my role here at Finger Lakes One for about five, a little over five years going on six, that it seems like most businesses and organizations and especially those in the tourism space have to work harder to promote themselves and engage with regional and local consumers than they do those that are coming from far away just because of that that element of taking it for granted i guess to some degree for those of us who have lived here our entire lives at one point or another we've we've all been guilty of it yeah. um but at the same time you know it, it's this amazing opportunity for people to experience this parts of the region that maybe they wouldn't have under normal circumstances or pre-coronavirus uh, circumstances and i hope and and you can chime in on this one too I hope that sentiment sticks after this is all over with, right? Like, cause that's, that's one of the things that I do worry about a little bit is, you know, we get on the side, other side of this and there's pent up desire to go, to go away. Yeah. And, you know, it's a balance. And I, I hope that people do continue to appreciate those, the, the things that are around us, you know, all the time. I, I think, you know, there'll be some of that, but it's it's hard not to go to the Corning Museum of Glass or the Genesee Country Village and Museum or Strong National Museum of Play or mm-hmm. and and not be impressed once you're in there that this is this is cooler than I thought I didn't realize they were this big I didn't realize they renovated twice in the last you know 15 years um, so so I think some of that will stick but one of the best or worst examples of this are restaurant wine lists and you know. I'm not going to harp on this during a shutdown and reopening and things, but you know, if if our restaurants don't have local wines that they're featuring and highlight highlighting, then what message is that sending to the people that live here? Um, you know, and I'll, I'll get back to that when the world becomes more normal. 
uh, right now I, I feel for the restaurants, they're hurting. They can't, they can't make money at 50% capacity. They, they struggle to make money at 100% capacity. They are not going to survive at 50%. And so this has to be, that's why we have to keep this infection rate low and wear masks and give them the opportunity to get to 100% so that they can survive because this is not survivable. From the consumer standpoint, and this is one of those philosophical questions that we've debated a couple different times uh, in the studio on other on other programs, do consumers or should consumers warm up to the idea of paying a little more when they go out to eat, when they visit that local winery, when they do these things that, you know, historically, um, industries that just they struggle to to make money, even when they are operating at full, full clip, um, should consumers realistically have to now start to warm up to the idea that you know to have these things that we all appreciate very much it is going to take a little more personal investment than it has in the past um you know yes and no uh you know does it cost more to buy from a local farmer than to uh you know go to a huge big box store and buy your groceries um, not always. Actually, I did a, a, a test at our Westside Farmer's Market in Rochester. Five different vegetables. Went to one of the big box stores. Five different vegetables. Several were less at our Farmer's Market than the big box store. Partly because the big box store was using one of them as a loss leader. It was really cheap. Uh, but the other ones weren't really cheap. Yeah. So there's games being played. Uh, and we, we you need to be aware of them and realize that you know, buying local is not always more expensive. But similarly, it's what you do then. You know, you you can buy uh, uh, local foods and do a little more of your own cooking, which is um, less expensive. Uh, and in terms of restaurants, um, yes, if they if they want to buy all local ingredients or mainly local ingredients like Stone Cat Cafe awesome restaurant on Seneca Lake. Uh, you're going to pay more than you are at, you know, a cash, fast casual or whatever trim is for some of the chain restaurants. Um, but, you know, um, I, I would do that and maybe eat there a little less often and have my peanut butter sandwiches, you know, uh, more often. So we make decisions every day about how much we spend on things and um, I, I don't think we have to necessarily spend more we need to spend more wisely maybe um, and if you if you can afford to, to support uh, you know local businesses more often your every dollar you spend is a vote you can vote for local you can vote for elsewhere um, but change that percentage to spend more locally uh, it, it it can be deceiving what is what is more expensive so uh, you know let's take a restaurant as an example do you go and you get a appetizer and an entree and a dessert or do you go and get three appetizers which is what I've done uh, many times I'm spending less I don't need the full entree it's like it's too much food anyway, yeah. uh, often. And I want to taste more things. Yeah. And you know, and then I'll get an ice cream at a local shop along the way. Livingston County has their ice cream cone trail now. 16 
different stops on that trail, mainly Livingston County, a couple on the edges. But again, it's um, it's it's how we spend our money. So so I, I spend less at restaurants than most people. I taste more different things because of how I order, um, and and I don't consume quite as much food, which is probably a good thing. As someone who eats <laughs> out quite a bit, I would say that is a good thing. Um, my last question I've been throwing at everybody who comes in or everybody that I've, I've interviewed throughout, this, throughout the pandemic. Um, one thing that leaves you optimistic about where we're going as a region in the future? Uh, well, I think we're appreciating the natural beauty of our region more. Um, and the need to protect it because in the long run that's going to drive a lot of the reasons why people come here and stay here and come back here and invest here uh, and you know that includes the farmland the vineyards that I include that when I say natural beauty not just the waterfalls or the gorges um, but the I, I feel optimistic because we have these great resources and we're just just beginning to learn to protect them and, and grow them and invest in them. And that's, uh, I think, unstoppable, really, at this point. The, the, the region is a world-class wine region that um, it, it is uh, unstoppable. At this point, we've reached a critical mass. And yeah, it's, we, we gotta survive the pandemic. We gotta keep the infection rate low and, and wear masks. Uh, when you're within six feet of people, um, Josh and I are more than six feet apart, and uh, and, and appreciate you know your care in the studio and um, and, and also the, the the local nature of what Finger Lakes One does. That's you know I never had aspirations to be a national radio show host because I, I, I like my local sponsors, I like the local small businesses, and um, and that's what you bring to the community and not just audio but but on, on video too as well as online yeah it's uh appreciate hearing that and uh, it, you know we're all in this thing together we're all wearing masks together um and and we're all you know working to to keep the progress that new york state has achieved so far well into the future um saverlife.com is the website correct it's and not save your life although <laughs> It, it could help your life. It's a saver, saver, saver life. life. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, you're still on the old schedule, right? Everything, new episodes are still coming out the same time as they had while you were on the radio, correct? Yeah, it's just not live at this point. Might be at some point, but I like radio. As you can tell from my hair um, uh, today, I mean, this is this is COVID hair. I usually have it cut much shorter, but um, but I like radio. I, li I like the audio um, on, the, on the internet only and, and not doing FaceTime movies and things. I, but who knows what will happen. All right. Appreciate the time, Michael, as always. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Inside the Finger Lakes is a production of FingerLakesOne.com digital media. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to shows like this one. It's hosted by me, Josh Durso, and if you want to hear archived episodes, visit InsideTheFLX.com. If you have an idea for a show, email it to josh at fingerlakes1.com or follow me on Twitter at FLXJosh where we keep the conversation going all week long.
thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week.